Knock, knock, who's there? It's one half of the Has Been Hoops podcast. Earlier on in the week, we had a fantastic chat with our mate, our old teammate and now CEO of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, Tommy Greer. We covered off so much. We wanted to put something up this week. We're going to do it as a standalone episode right after this, our good mate, Tommy Greer. Knock, knock, who's there? It's the Has Been Hoops podcast. And um, Chris, we haven't done one of these in a while, but we've got a, a guest on today. Um I got to play with this guest, uh, but you got to play and coach this guy, and now he's uh, forging his own career off the court. Um, so I'll hand it over to you because I, I feel like it's it's perfect for you to introduce our guest today. Okay, thanks, mate. Well, it's Tommy Greer. Let, let's not uh, – it's great to have Tommy on, but the story I wanted to tell, and, and Tommy, I think I told you this years after – I got done playing, but um, when I came back from Russia, and, and the best way I can introduce you, mate, is you were the rookie. It was your rookie season in the NBL um, my year back from Russia, and I was sort of at that stage of my career when I knew all the shortcuts. I knew how to get through a training session and hide in corners a little bit, and I'd done it in Russia for a little bit. And I used to watch you getting up and down the court, and you worked harder than anyone in the Melbourne Tigers the day I walked in and I thought, shit, if it's good enough for the rookie, I remember being that guy. I remember being that rookie and, you know, from the minute I walked into the Tigers, I wanted to work as hard as you and, and try to remember how hard it was to do that at the start of my career. And uh, I reckon that was a big reason that we had the success we had. I know it was a big reason that I was able to play as well as I did with that emulation of your effort, mate. So... Well, Thank you publicly and welcome to the Has Been Hoops podcast. Well, thanks very much, mate. Best intro I reckon I've ever had between you two. So I <laughs> really appreciate it. And I love that story. I love it. I've heard you tell it a few times. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was an incredible, um, you know, few seasons there with the Tigers and, and you coming back from Russia and some of the talent we had running around on, on that squad is was just, just incredible. So it was just awesome to be a part of it from my perspective. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll, we we I'll, might I'll, have dropped out. If, if we've got a pause there in the podcast, we, we might have lost Tommy for a second and might have recorded. But Chris, can yeah, I, I'm sure that was a fantastic answer, Tommy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of, you know, it's breaking up and um, and then there's long pauses and, yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, Chris, I'll, I'll, obviously you've got stories to tell about you and Tommy. Uh, I was on the other end of the spectrum. Um, where we'd run up against the Melbourne Tigers in a grand final series year after year when I was playing at Sydney. And um, obviously, we, we put a fairly heavy target on what you were able to do, Chris. We knew exactly what DMAC was bringing to the table. Uh, we even knew what Dave Thomas was as an intangible guy. But the one person that we really spoke about trying to nullify his game was Tommy. And uh, that's because he did all the stuff that a lot of the other guys, you had all the scoring in the world, but Tommy was the one guy that continually crashed the boards. That was just a pain in the ass on defense. His rotations were always there. And he was the one guy that we tried to nullify. 
Now for you, Tommy, you're playing with Chris and D-Mac and, and these these big names. Um, yeah. How did you feel uh, at times probably feeling like the fifth Beatle at, at stages, I guess, uh, on, on the court, but you played your role just to absolute perfection? Yeah, not, not, not at all. There was, uh, you know, a whole lot of imposter syndrome going on. Uh, definitely not the fifth Beatle. Felt uh, a lot more like the band manager than, uh, <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was definitely along for the ride and riding the coattails of some of those. Yeah, I mean, absolute great to the game. Um, and, yeah, I was just, you know, just wanted to, to do whatever I could to, to get some minutes on the court and and have the opportunity to play with guys of that caliber, so that's really where my mind was at. Maybe you, maybe you did a lot more than that, and you became captain of the club. And we'll get to that get to that soon. But you know, those first four years we had, and I know whether you're on the other end of them. Um, you know, to get to four championship series in a row. I mean, we 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 tell stories between us, but talk about. I mean, tell, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but, but your growth and your level, your, your, your increased or your improved confidence and your improved role and your greater role within the group, mm. surely that's something that what you've just described didn't last very long within our group. Yeah, well, I, I think over time and, you know, the, the leaders within that team sort of filling you with confidence and, and, you know, the amount of learning you do just by being around um, players like that and just being around a group like that, you know, were though you, you experienced it um, across town with the other mob as well, I'm sure. But, um, you know, while, while we're storytelling, you know, one of the uh, one of the, the clearest stories I have of that period of time in my basketball career was the, um, was, it, was it the semi-final or grand final? No, it was a grand final loss at the, out at Parkville to... Gorge and the Kings. Do you remember this, Chris? The, the game that he ran around the court. And ran around the court. The little so point we were, guard went we were, nuts in the fourth quarter. That's Dante right. Draper. Up 20, we Dante up, Draper. Yeah, up 25 points. And I wasn't playing a lot at this time. Um, and, you know, I was sort of sitting towards the end of the bench there, talking to a couple of guys at the end of the bench. And, you know, there was started to be a few conversations about, like, where are we going afterwards, you know, like – Almost getting ready to, to, to celebrate this uh, this championship, and Sydney um, pulled a win out of nowhere, basically. And I remember going back into the change rooms after that game, and it is the flattest uh, change room I have ever sat in. Um, just devastated. The group was absolutely devastated, and it, it felt like an impossible thing to come back from. You know, knowing that now we're heading up to Sydney and backs against the wall. And hop in the car and I start to drive. I'm, I'm getting tingles thinking about this. And uh, start to drive home and a text came through from you, Chris. And it was, you know, it was decent in length and basically just sort of giving the message of, um, you know, we're not done. This is this is how championships are made, you know. Um, these are the hurdles and the adversity you need to overcome if you want to be a championship player. We're going up to Sydney and we're going to win this game. And immediately, all of the feelings of that loss, all of that devastation was just ripped out of me and complete focus just switched to, all right, get home, get to bed. Let's get on this plane and go get that win. And that's an example of 
you know, just being around a group like that, you know, it's not a sit down session in leadership. It's not a sit down, you know, you've got to do this to be a good leader or, you know, that's stuff you can't get out of a textbook. That's just character stuff. And, um, you know, I was incredibly fortunate to be, you know, on a team for many years there with, with some great leaders. And I think benefited from that. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just loving reliving all these fantastic memories in my basketball. Thanks, Tommy and Chris. I, 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 now, I know now know why we've invited Tommy on. I'll just sit back yeah, yeah, for no, the good. next thirty minutes and then just enjoy used to talking shit about how you. We it's funny. Shot let's, our talk shot more, let's, let's talk more about the Kings, Tommy. We'll get on the next championship soon. Um, <laughs> but you know what's funny because I mean you'd love to. Because you're right, we didn't here, we didn't say a word in the locker room. We didn't say a word in the locker room, and it was interesting. It, it had the most simplest thought. It was like if somebody said to you at the start of the season, "We're going to give you one game to win this championship. It's on the road. One game, win or lose, in the championship series. Would you take it?" You're like, yeah. "Of course we would," mm. because it means we're there. It didn't matter how we got there, but we're there. I think that was the premise of the whole thing, but I've never been around a group of boys that were that locked in. Like, we didn't talk at the airport. Mm. It was literally everyone. Anyway, but, I mean, that all came back to how – we'll give you a little compliment. Well, yeah, that all came back to how great the Kings were. I mean, they'd won the last three championships. Uh, no, they hadn't. We'd won the one. This is the second time, wasn't it? This is the second yeah. one. So we'd already beaten in a championship series. That, yeah, that's right. Um, no, it was, it was a special group. Um <laughs> Mate, you, you, we, we did have those successful four years and we'll move on. And then you want to talk at all about the Dragons, were they, where we got you? You want to tell us that you beat us with the Dragons real quick? Guys, I'm really sorry, but no. Nah. Yeah. Nah. It's just, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather. The, I, I, Chris, I didn't hear any of any of what you said because of the, the things just, yeah, cutting out. We, we've, we've got all of you, mate. So uh, if you can hear us, were those just declined to talk about the uh, the Dragons, which is nice of him. But, mate, fast-forwarding, you know, to those years, you, you became captain of the club. You were captain when I coached it. By then, you'd been in the league, it must have been seven or eight years, and you were looked at as a leader of the club. You, you know, there weren't the championship series and there was a high turnover of players Coaches, you know, we, we went from Al to, to Trevor Gleeson to myself. Talk us through from a player's perspective that period of transition and probably leading into the end of your playing career. Okay, uh, you're breaking up there again, but um, I've got the, the very last um, part of that. So talk through the transition from the four sort of um, – not championships, but uh, grand final games into that next period of time. Yeah. Um, it was a difficult... Yeah, we, we, we yeah. went through... The... Yeah, it was a difficult transition, not not just for myself, but for the club. Um, you know, some of the names that we've been talking about, and I know you're one of them, so, it, you know, that is what it is, but, you know, yourself and DMAC and, and DT and, and you know, all, all these guys and, you know, D Dave Stiff and... Stephen Hall, like these are absolute greats of the game. Um, and for the club, uh, you know, at that period of time, you know, losing a few of those guys and then almost sort of going into a new phase, um, it was difficult. And whilst we did, um, you know, have a, a few seasons of, um, you know, 
putting some good rosters on the floor and competing pretty hard and getting, you know, reasonably close, you know, that one, one year against, uh, I think it was Adelaide. Um, we are never able to sort of get back to the top of the mountain there. And um, to me, looking back on it now, um, you know, it feels a little bit like a, uh, an underachievement. Um, like we should have been able to sort of turn that thing around uh, sooner than, than we were able to. And it also is a, you know, a pretty harsh sort of reminder of, you know, how difficult it is to win a championship. You know, you need so much to go right to be able to win a championship and you truly need everyone pulling in the same direction. And if you don't have that, you know, the odds really do start to stack up against you. And for me, that that was, you know, that really is the sort of marker of that, um, you know, that 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 real sort of understanding of what it takes to be able to get there. I'm going to be. I want you to touch on that a little bit later on as well, because that's, I suppose, the task that you're now in charge of with the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix uh, from a front office position. But we'll get to there. One of the questions that I should have written on the run sheet, but I didn't, and it's a really simple one that's just occurred to me, you're talking about transition. How did you find the change from the Melbourne Tigers to United? You were right in the middle of it. The three of us were right in the middle of it. How, how did, probably a question for both of you, how did you find it? Do you want to go first, Werther, or would you like? So obviously I'm not a Victorian, so my... My view on it was probably a little bit different, and I, I understood the logic behind it straight away. And um, from a business decision, I, I understood it. I, I think the one thing that hasn't gone, probably hasn't been spoken about enough, is that even though the name changed, it still felt very much like a Melbourne Tigers club. Still, the Melbourne Tigers players are still hung from the rafters there. And it wasn't until the Phoenix came back and something that I got to enjoy as part of the Dragon was Dragons was encompassing everything else that was beforehand. Um, and so I think while the principle of Melbourne United was right, I think the execution of Melbourne United long-term has been flawed. Um, and I think that the Phoenix have done a better job of recognising the history of clubs that have been... Um, in the past in, in Victoria. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I didn't have that instinct like Tommy, when he was getting jerseys at, you know, when he was five at Christmas, I, I never had that. I, you know, if I got one, I probably would have burnt it at the age of five. But, <laughs> uh, uh, so it's a little bit different, but, but I understand, I understand the logic, but I, I think it's been a little flawed along the way. It was interesting what I landed on just to tie that up was, I agree. I think they made the right choice. And like Tommy said, it was one of the toughest choices you could make, but I reckon they missed a step. You know, I'm a Western Bulldogs AFL fan and we're on the verge of collapsing and they gave the members the chance to save the club. And we did. Members did save it. The, the Tigers members, I feel, never had the chance to realise how bad it was going and to, in fact, save it. And we may very well have got to the same decision a month later. And there would have been a probably a, a quicker acceptance of the decision, knowing that it was required to survive as it was. I think there are a lot of disjointed Tigers fans, both historically and present, uh, that probably felt left out of the decision and felt like their team was taken away from them. But I agree with, with both. It's clearly turned into the right decision and United 
we all know what they've gone and done. But we're not here to talk about United, Tommy. Um, you mentioned earlier on how difficult it is to win a championship, how many things need to go right. It's funny, when I, one of the things I remember about you when you were younger was you were always involved in NBA Supercoach and you spent so much time on your rosters and you and Liam Santa Maria were a part of a league and yep. you fast forward to now and you've got your real, I don't want to belittle it at all, but it's almost in some form. You are in charge of a real life super coach team and you've got to put a roster together and you hope that things go right. So I guess it's a twofold question. I'll let you talk is a, how did you being hired come about and B, once you, you know, once the rubber hit the road and you got going, how did you find the process of leading a startup basketball club and trying to achieve the success that you'd been a part of at the Melbourne Tigers? Yeah, I mean, massive question. So this could take up the next 20 minutes. But um, um, so how, how it all got started, you know, fin finished basketball career, ground floor at the NBL was there for a good sort of six or so years, sort of working my way up, finishing in a, in a, in a GM position um, of major events and programs and got to, um, you know, lead some incredible projects um, during that period of time from Basketball Without Borders to the All-Australian Tours in China, you know, the NBL, NBA games, the National Community Program, the Combine back when it was running. Um, and part of the role there was to work with potential new licensees and so went through that process with uh, you know a, a few different um, groups and, and people, and then um, ultimately um, Robert Chowdhury came along, um, went through the process with him. We developed a really strong relationship, and and um, you know there was a, a high level of trust there, being that he was from the US and he didn't you know he didn't have a lot of contacts out here. And um, ultimately, um, he gave me the opportunity to. Um, I guess on a sort of trial basis in, in that first year as a GM um, to sort of show that, uh, that, you know, I was capable and um, that's an opportunity I jumped at. And then after the success of the first year, um, moved me into the CEO position and, and, you know, we've built what we've built since that day. Um, in terms of uh, the second part of that question, you know, how, how do you go about, I guess, sort of building a roster and, and ticking all those boxes? Um, clubs are built differently uh, here in the NBL, like and where the the, the sort of um, responsibilities lies for different things are different at every club. It's not as simple as okay, the CEO, you know, picks all this, or the GM does all this, or um, it's it's very different at every single club. Um, and for a club that started with six employees and is now up to 20, those roles and responsibilities change during that period of time as well. Um, so it's sort of an ever evolving um, beast. So early days, my involvement would have been, um, you know, a lot heavier. Um, it was really sort of myself and Simon Mitchell, um, yeah, putting putting in the hours and, and working out exactly what we wanted. and. And, uh, and, you know, going through all those processes and all those steps to ensure that, you know, we felt like we had the right, the right guys and, and we're bringing the right people in, um, both in terms of performance staff through to um, playing group. Um, that role for me has evolved uh, over time. Um, my role's now more one of support than it is of um, being out there hunting and, 
and you know being the one sort of you know responsible for finding the talent um it's now more one of support of the head coach and support of the coaching staff um and the work that they put in um going out to find what they need to be able to deliver wins on the court uh and once um, that's found um you know i definitely have my say and definitely have um you know question things and all, all that um all of that uh but then it's sort of my role to go out and get the contract done get that sorted get them in here etc cetera, etc cetera. so and every club is built differently um like i said it's uh that sort of how gms and coaches work together is is sort of different all around the league, but it's it's integral that there is that great relationship there between the, the head coach and and the GM or CEO, whoever it may be at, at each club. Yeah. Um, just piggybacking off that, um, choosing Simon Mitchell as your inaugural head coach, um, someone who had been at United and and was serving under Dean at the time. Um, the relationship you two had, um, having to part ways with Simon and then landing on Mike, there's a, a lot to unpack there as well. Can you talk us through each of those steps and, and your feelings and, and where you are uh, as a leader of this club now and, and the difficult decisions you have to make as well? Yeah, no no doubt. There's there's difficult decisions uh, every every day. Uh, some... some obviously greater, greater than others. Um, yeah, bringing Simon on board was, um, uh, at the end of that process, really a no-brainer. Um, you know, he was incredibly, he's incredibly passionate about the region. I think he reflected the region in his work ethic and the way he goes about um, his business. Um, he uh, had spent time under, you know, a championship-winning coach. Uh, he'd, he'd won as an assistant coach. I had a great relationship with him, which was going to be incredibly important um, in the early days where there's so much heavy lifting to do uh, and you're doing things that, you know, don't sit within the PD, uh, you know, just, just to make it happen with such limited staff. Um, and it's just the passion that, that, that he came in with and he delivered during the interview process was uh, intoxicating, to be honest. Um, and so, yeah, it was an incredible, it was a great, um, you know, four years uh, with Simon at the helm, and you know we were we were close. You know, once feel like we're actually close twice, um, but um, you know didn't have all the luck in the world in terms of keeping uh, keeping players on on the on the field, which we're dealing with again this year. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, the four years were up. Um, sport is about winning, um, so you can. You can hide from that as much as you want, but wins matter. And uh, and after four years, um, ultimately, sort of, um, because we had that great relationship, we're able to have a, a proper conversation about where we thought things were at, and ultimately decided that it was time to go ahead in a different direction. Um, just want to touch on. You said you've got to have a bit of luck. Uh, there's no doubt that there's been a lot of misfortune with the Phoenix and even if we look back to the very first game against Melbourne United you bring in Ty Wesley who uh, I believe he I'd did his hand I almost forgot about that though I'd almost forgot about that 
But he does his hamstring is out for eight to ten weeks right off the the get go. Um, yeah. And he was a big piece for that inaugural club. He was as looking well. like a he was looking like an MVP candidate that year. He had torn apart the absolutely torn apart the preseason. He went into that first. You know, it was within the first sort of couple of minutes, I think he did it, yep. but he'd already put four points on the board and he just looked unstoppable out there. Yeah. Talk about the misfortune and and where, where do you sit with this? I mean, this is this is a probably the toughest question you'll get from us, but obviously, like, at some point it's bad luck and then there's, at some point it becomes too consistent. <laughs> Of a thing, and I think the story of the Phoenix, and you've already stated that you've been close twice already, and had you had a bit more luck, you might have gotten there. Yep. How how when you sit back and analyze and and view this, where where are you at at the moment with how you feel about this whole? And it's, I know it's hard in your position because you can't few, get uh, too high and you can't no, get no, too no, low. I mean, there's definitely a you know I've had a few moments where I'm cursing at the basketball gods, um, you know, wondering what I did in, in my playing career to, <laughs> to have brought this upon myself. But uh, it's important to, exactly like you said, where though, you know, never too high, never too low. You need to sit back. You need to look at things with great perspective and you need to look at things um, uh, truthfully and factually uh, uh, in order to get yourself um, to a position to be able to make the right decision. And whilst we have had um, some incredibly unlucky injuries uh, over our time, um, uh, if you sit down and go through them one by one, um, you know, it's hard to sort of pinpoint one one reason as to why that has been happening. Like even when you sort of like go through this year, which has been... I've never seen anything like it. You know, I've never seen a team, you know, missing five of their starting six or even in that last game, we were missing six of our first six. Um, but you start to go through that and you're like, okay, Abdel Nader gets a finger caught in a jersey and, you know, and he, he busts his finger up. Mitch Creek has knee-on-knee um, contact injury. Tyler Cook comes out at the start of the year and gets poked in the eye and has his retina done. That happened to Rowdy as well uh, the season before. Um, these, aren't, these aren't injuries that are like there's a constant soft tissue thing going on or there's a, you know, there's everyone's going down with back issues or, or anything like that. They're, um, they're quite innocuous um, for the most part. Um, but all that being said, uh, absolutely, it's something that, you know, this off-season we're going to be putting a whole lot of time and effort into. And uh, even if that is the case, and it has just been um, unlucky, the process is still incredibly important to get to the bottom, um, get to the bottom of it, and uh, and work out exactly what's going on. I I said that it started with Ty Wesley. I should have said it started with you on the back of a boat, uh, tearing your <laughs> pectoral muscle. A couple of years beforehand, but let, that, that's a, probably another story. Or unless you want to tell that story, Tommy. No, that, that's um, a good one. That's uh, a good one for, for us somewhere else, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'll, 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 we'll get off that. But um, 
I, I did want to ask about leadership within the group. You know, we've touched on yourself, we've touched on the coaches. There's one name I want to ask about off-court and then I'll ask you about the on-court with Mitch Creek, Ryan Brock off the imports that have come in and sort of settling on an on-court leader. But what does the name Parveen Batish mean to you and your journey through this corporate side of basketball? Um, Parveen was uh, incredibly, um, I guess, sort of integral uh, to me early days in, in this role. Um, he was working with, with Larry at the time. Um, he spent a lot of time um, with me in the, er the very, very early days of this club, helping to go about, um, I guess, get some very high-level plans in place. Um, and, you know, since that point, he's always been a, a good sounding block. He's always been a really good friend and, and someone that is always uh, ready to sit down and have a listen or provide some advice. Um, you know, he's been fantastic. Yeah. So, so on court, mate, you've had Mitch Creek right from the very start. Um, we, you know, I was part of interviewing Mitch on another podcast a year and a bit ago. It was one of the most open and was one of the most honest podcasts I reckon I've ever been a part of, and I, and I loved it. Um, but as he would agree, it's fair, and he doesn't care, but he is polarising. Um, you know, another guy that came in with incredible basketball, with an incredible basketball resume is Ryan Brockoff, who fought injury and hasn't really been there. How do you find the on-court leadership at the Phoenix over the five years? Is it something that sits comfortably with Mitch? Is it something that when you get to looking into the future, and you're probably doing that already, looking into next year with one eye already, is part of that bringing in someone to assist Mitch with that, to bring in a veteran guy who you can lean to on the court? Talk, talk to us about leadership on the court and talk to us about how you're looking to plan into next season with the playing group that you're going to look to bring in. Yeah, look, I mean, it's definitely something that's been a focus since early days. You know, that's one of the reasons Brian Madgen came in. It's one of the right, you know, reasons we really liked Ryan, you know, bringing um, Ryan in. Um, and there's no way around how important Mitch Creek and, and what, uh, what a leader he has been um, for this group over, over the course of our first sort of five seasons here. Um, I, I think going forward, um, you know, uh, this leadership space, not only for ourselves as a club, but, you know, I've been having this conversation a lot lately, as I'm sure why the sort of question has come up. Um, as a sport, I think we need to invest more in our leaders. Um, when you look around, you look at the AFL and you look at, the NRL and you look at the other sort of major codes here in Australia and how they recognise and they put, you know, they pedestal the great leaders of clubs and how important those players are uh, to those clubs, even if they aren't the most talented player and, and the respect that they have within that group. And I think, in my opinion, is as a sport, we don't put enough emphasis on that right from the grassroots all the way through. Basketball really has been a sport that it's about, okay, who's the most talented kid? Get them in here, get them on the court, here's the captain. That's sort of how it's how it's been. But as the sport is becoming more and more professional and as the sport is growing and um, it's getting more, you know, um, interest from the fans and, 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 and clubs getting bigger and bigger, um, I can really see that as a, uh, you know, a really sort of core pillar 
uh, for clubs um, as they move forward. And it's something that we're spending a, a whole lot of time on at, at the moment um, as we sort of um, you know, look to finish off this year and, and head into next year bigger and better. I think uh, biggest, I'm just going to touch on this leadership just a little bit more. And I agree that AFL and NRL and all that do it a lot better, but they also don't bring in American imports who come with their own their own set of values, baggage, yeah. whatever. Um, it's been a well-known secret that the team that has got their imports right typically do well in the NBL. Uh, and even looking like someone like a Bryce Cotton, while he's a fantastic person, he's also a fantastic leader for the club of how he goes about his business day in and day out. No question. When you're doing the screening for the imports, what are you looking for as far as characteristic-wise? Uh, do you go the Joey Wright route where it's like, I don't mind the occasional guy that's going to be a little bit fiery because he doesn't like all of the same people or do you look for those guys that are not only going to be good basketball players but people that you can uh, lend on, lean on I should say to help in the leadership space? I think first and foremost it's about finding good people you know uh, at, at, to the core of who they are uh, um, and you know we've been we've been lucky uh, you know uh, over the years, you know, Alan Williams has been just an incredible asset to this franchise um, over the past. Do, do you of- think? Do you think it's luck? I don't mean to cut you off talking about Alan Williams, but surely what with what you've described, it can't be luck. No, no, it's well, it's not all luck, but there is still luck involved because you can do all the character assessment you want. You can, you can um, spend time speaking with um, previous coaches and family and. You know, people who have been around them, but there's there's also all of the external ca- you know caveats that get thrown into the mix once they get out here. Um, there is you know team chemistry, there is role, there is usage, there is um, everything else that goes on in in someone's life um, outside of basketball while they're here that impacts those things. Um, which is why you know. Um, you know, personally and, and with the, the two coaches I've worked with so far, um, you know, that, that sort of primary focus really comes down to who, who are they as a person? You know, are they, you know, is, is this a genuine, um, you know, truthful, honest person that you can, you can put trust in and you can believe in? And from there, um, you know, you start moving through the process and, and checking off as many boxes as you possibly can. Mate, what's the biggest challenge you've got this off-season? You've got a couple of games left. Um, it's extraordinarily unlikely, if not impossible, that the Phoenix play in the finals this year. Um, what's the biggest challenge for the club moving into next season? Um, on or off the court? Or both? Your choice. <laughs> um, greatest challenge? That's a good question. Um, I think it's... To be honest, I, I don't know if I want to frame it as a challenge. I think it's uh, off the court, it's continuing to build on the incredible success that we've had with our crowds um, and, and continuing to find new ways to innovate uh, and keep people interested and keep sort of building on that momentum. You know, we're, we're currently sitting um, bottom of the ladder as it stands today and um, we have 50 tickets left to today's game um, here at John Kane Arena which um, has just been 
Um, incredible to see the fans support this year. So continuing to find ways to sort of innovate, keep them engaged and keep building on that is always, um, you know, a challenge to sort of keep that um, interesting and evolving. And on the court, it's, um, you know, it's working through the challenges that we've had this year. You know, we need to, you know, spend time um, within the leadership space. We need to spend time, um, you know, through our high performance programs and, and, and working out, um, you know, what things can we adjust or put in place to, to give us the best chance of um, keeping, you know, our star players uh, on the court for, you know, the majority of games going into next year? Because I do believe that we've had the talent um, over the years, over the past sort of three, four years. We've had great talent sort of come through the club. Um, you know, the, the, the caveat has been the amount of games that we've been able to get out of those players. So that's definitely going to be a primary focus. My final question, Tommy, and as we record this, uh, you're gearing up for a game against Tasmania, as you've just alluded to. We ask this question as a final one to all of the guests we have, so buckle in. <laughs> okay. Heaven is arriving at the end of your life and realising that the story you've written with that life is a story someone would read. So the question is, what's been the chapter you'd like most people to know about or what's been the most important lesson you've learnt that you'd like to share? Okay. Um, very good question. Were those, were the, uh, and I've had a conversation about this in, in the past, um, I guess that period of time for me would be finishing a, a, a playing career um, and how difficult that actually is um, when it's all you've ever wanted to do since you're a kid. And I don't think that there is enough um, conversation about it. Um, I don't think there is enough support around it. I don't think that, uh, yeah, I don't think there is yeah, really, um, yeah, I don't even know how, how, how to frame it to you, but we just, as a sport, we, we haven't invested enough resources or enough time in that space because it's an incredibly challenging challenging time for an athlete and um and i think it's you know i've said to Wertho, would have been a couple of years ago now but you know before i am done in the sport i am um i am adamant that that is something that you know i'm going to influence um yeah um tommy uh I know what you went through uh, and you know exactly what I went through. And um, I think it's the small conversations that we have on the way um, mm. and, and people will never fully understand or, or recognize the depths of what a drop off it is for you mentally um, and to try and pick up the pieces uh, pretty much by yourself a lot, a lot of the time and, and rebuild uh, for me. I want to congratulate you because I know how tough it was for you once the end was there for you. And I know that it was a, a, a struggle, but I also seen you work your way all the way through that to get to where you are now, mate. So uh, as a friend, I couldn't be more stoked that you're in the role that you're in doing what you're doing. Um, as a mate, I love seeing you with a smile on your face now and, and being able to still laugh about stories and whatnot. Um, but as a person, mate, uh, I'm super proud of you for what you've done over your journey. 
uh, not just as a basketball player and a teammate, but also as a friend and where you've gone to now. So good on you, Thanks. mate. Thanks. Couldn't have said that better, mate. Tommy Greer, thank you very much for your time to the Phoenix. We look forward to seeing what you do in the off season, but more importantly, I think let's, uh, let's get together for a beer and follow up this conversation off air. And I, I reckon we might just go somewhere because I think it's something that's pretty important all three of us. Love Tommy Greer, thanks very much, mate. Thank you, guys. Thanks, thanks Tommy.